I pray this finds you having a blessed day. Looking forward to getting into our time in the book of James. Uh, one thing, uh, normally I do uh, and release the podcast on Wednesdays, um, but I think because I I enjoy doing them, uh, it's uh, fun for me and an enjoyment for me. Um, I think I'm actually going to start doing uh, the podcast twice a week now, uh, rather than releasing them on Wednesdays. I think I'm going to do um, one podcast on Tuesday and one on Thursday, um, so that way I'll be releasing two a week uh, and being able to um, have a little bit more uh, fun and enjoyment as we get into uh, God's Word. Um, but also, just wanted to kind of open it up, and um, if there are any kind of topics, anything specific that maybe as you're listening, you're saying, I wish that we could, you know, I wish we could hear a, a topic about fill in the blank, whatever it may be, um, won't you send that to me? Um, won't you send it to me um, and let me know so that way I can kind of study it up and look at it and um, be able to tackle that. We'll be, of course, in the book of James for a while, um, being able to walk through it, but uh, at the same time, this gives me something to look at um, a little bit later on if it's something that, that you'd be interested in uh, hearing uh, and a topic to be able to tackle. So uh, I encourage you to uh, shoot that to me, let me know, and uh, maybe it'll even be something that, uh, a topic that you're interested in that we could talk, we could maybe even break away a little bit from James and jump into it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it because I do, I enjoy doing the podcast. And uh, so I'll be trying to do, and, and probably we'll start with this next week, um, which will be uh, January the 30th and kind of start with the month of February there doing Tuesdays and Thursdays and see how that goes. So uh, hopefully um, that'll be a blessing to you and give you a little something extra maybe while you're at work or driving down the road uh, to listen to and be encouraged with. But today we're going to be in the book of James chapter 1 and we're going to pick up in verse 26. We've been talking about um, uh, being able to look at hearing and doing the Word of God. Uh, some and, and if you want to say some of the more um, well-known passages in the book of James, be endures of the word, not hearers only. Talked a little bit last week about the idea of what it means when James said that, you know, somebody goes to a mirror, looks at their face and walks away and forgets it and not being able to really understand um, that the importance is letting the, the word of God read us more than we read it. Um, but we're going to pick up in verse 26, which is kind of a, a, another one of those blunt verses. And that's why I like the book of James, because it's really a book that is just very practical. Um, James just is cut and dry, says it the way that it is. He doesn't try to play around with anything. And here's what James says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is, a, is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. So, just, it's going to be a little bit later on, but in the James chapter 3, there is a significant passage from verse 1 all the way down to verse 12 um, that is going to talk about the tongue, the dangers of the tongue. So we're not going to dive in a whole lot with this, but I do think that it's important for us um, to be able to um, look at this passage here and understand what James is really talking about. And one of the first things that I, I want us to be able to see and understand, and I don't know that this is something that we really pay attention to as much as we need to, especially in today's culture, and that's this. 
your actions, and especially your language, speaks to your relationship with Christ as much as anything else. And you may say, well, you know, Jeremiah, I really disagree with that. Well, you're not disagreeing with me. You're actually disagreeing with the Word of God. And that's what I want us to be able to go to. And I'm going to flip over. You can um, write this down a little bit later if you're listening and you have your Bible and you want to flip over. It's Matthew chapter 12, and it's starting in um, verse 33. This is what Jesus himself said. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, Jesus is talking here to, of course, religious leaders at this time. And the religious leaders were known to uh, be able to quote, if you will, Bible verses at the drop of a hat. I mean, again, long story short, if you know the history, if you were a rabbi, if you were someone that was a religious leader, um, and you were a Jew that was going into being uh, a religious leader, uh, you knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. You memorized it. You could be able to quote it. You knew everything about it. And what Jesus was saying is, listen, yeah, it's, it's great that you can quote the Word of God, but the problem is you don't live it. Your actions, your language, everything that you do does not line up with what you teach. And what we're finding in today's culture, and I, and I hate to say this, that that's one of the things, I guess, that frustrates me so much. And, and I'll give you an example, and I posted this a couple years ago, and I got some people that were, were kind of, you know, gave me some heat on it. But there was a coach, and many of y'all may know, if you know football, his name is Dabo Sweeney. He's a coach at Clemson. And there was a specific interview that happened, and Dabo Sweeney started the interview by giving glory all to God. I mean, it was one of those that, you know, everybody and their mother who watched it is like, oh my gosh, I love Dabo Sweeney. He's the greatest Christian in the world. Just because when he started his interview, he gave glory to God. Then in the rest of his interview, he began to cuss. And I'm sitting here listening to that interview and I'm saying, okay, do you realize what you just done? You're sitting here and you're giving glory to God, claiming that you're a Christ follower and then in that same interview, you're sitting here and you're using cuss words and foul language and you don't see a problem with that. See, the problem is what we're doing in our culture today, we are so enamored with the world and we're so living like the world that we've not created any kind of differentiation. It's basically this. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but... I still do this, 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 and this because I don't see it as a problem. That's just kind of who I am. Uh, I don't see any issue with this because, you know, it's not a big deal and it's not hurting anybody. You know, everybody uses bad language. Everybody, you know, cusses. And, you know, it's not like it's a bad sin. It's not like I'm out murdering somebody. And I don't understand why we always go to murder. You know, we don't, for some reason, we think that if I can go out and I can, you know, use my words to, you know, completely kill someone's soul. But because I didn't murder them, it's not a big deal. Sin is sin. And it doesn't matter what sin it is, it's still sin in the eyes of God. And the problem that we've done is we've so conditioned ourselves to believe that certain sins aren't a big deal and certain sins are. And as long as I don't commit those big sins, I'm good and I don't have to worry about things. 
The problem is this. If I'm sitting here on this couch and I'm watching Dabo Sweeney and he in one breath he's telling me how much that he loves God and giving all glory to God, in the next breath he's sitting here using foul language, I'm confused. And see, the problem is the Bible tells us this. God is not the author of confusion. So see, if someone is telling me that they're a Christian and then yet their actions and their life tell me that they're not living for Christ, that's causing confusion in my life. Well, guess what? God is not the author of confusion, which means more than likely... Either that person doesn't know what it really means to follow Christ and they're not a follower of Christ or they don't care what God's word says and they're just going to openly sin because they don't believe that they're held to the standards. See, that's the scary part. And now what we've done is everybody and their brother who either wins an award, wins a football game, wins a basketball game, whatever it may be, the go to the interview, and the first thing is, is I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to give all glory to God. And then you sit down and you listen to other interviews about them. You see them on the field and they're dropping F-bombs all over the place. You know, they're doing the things that they're doing, and yet all we're doing is lauding them and saying, oh my gosh, look, they're using their platform. They're such an awesome person. But then yet the problem we're finding is that they're actually doing, if you want to say, double duty. In one breath, when the cameras are showing, they're going to you know, give all glory to God, but then they don't realize that the cameras never stop showing. And in the areas of their life, in their normal day-to-day life, which is really where our character is built, they're not living for Jesus. See, think about it from this standpoint. If me on a Sunday morning, you're probably not going to see me on a Sunday morning get up there and use cuss words behind the pulpit. I'm not going to tell dirty jokes behind the pulpit. I'm not going to talk in an ugly fashion about women behind the pulpit. I'm not going to um, be very critical of people behind the pulpit. I'm not going to use gossip and lies and dishonesty behind the pulpit. I understand that in the pulpit, I got the limelight, if you will. I've got the cameras on me. So I'm going to be as diligent as I can be to be the best Christ follower I can be. Me behind the pulpit for... 45 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to be the clear picture of who I am, if you want to say it this way, as a Christ follower. The real thing is, are you following me through the week and do I live up to the standard through the week when nobody else maybe is watching? That's what real Christian character is. It's not what you can do when you go to church and you got a Bible tucked under your arm and it's easy to God bless everybody and I'm praying for you and have a smile on your face for 45 minutes and fake it. It's, do you do it every day? Do you do it whenever you're at work and you take a hammer and you smash your thumb? Is the first thing out of your mouth is a big cussing spree? Is it one of those things when somebody calls you up on the phone and they're trying to share gossip with you that you're just going to jump right into it rather than saying, hey, listen, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear that because what you're doing is sin right now. You're telling gossip about somebody because have you went to that person and asked them if that is truthful? If you've not went to that person and asked them if that's truthful, I don't want to hear it. See, those are the things that we're talking about. Those things to where when we're, we're kind of in the quietness of our own selves. Are we really being Christ followers? Or are we just doing it whenever everybody's watching so that way we can be able to walk around and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christ follower because for 45 minutes on a Sunday, you can play the role really well. See, that's what the religious leaders would do. The religious leaders played the role really well, and I'm sorry to say it this way, it's easy to play the role of being a Christian for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. It really is. It doesn't take a whole lot of work. 
And pretty much everybody who walks into church on Sunday morning, the first thing we think of, if they're dressed right, they got a Bible and they got a tithe check and they look the part, it's, oh yeah, they, they, they're, they're a Christian. The real question is this, how do they live when they're away? How do they live with the way that they talk to other people and the way they treat other people? That's the real test. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't claim to have a good tree and produce bad fruit, and you can't be a bad tree and produce good fruit. And notice what he said in Matthew. Whatever comes out of your mouth is from the overflow of your heart. So the real thing that's taking place here that Jesus is talking about and James is talking about is this. If your heart belongs to Jesus, if you are saved and blood-bought and redeemed by Jesus Christ and salvation, you can't consistently live a life that your language and your actions state that you don't belong to Jesus. You can't without being so convicted. And here's the thing. If you're not convicted, you don't belong to Jesus. Because one of the things we understand from Scripture is that that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. So I'm just going to lovingly tell you, if you're somebody who has no problem being dishonest, gossiping, lying, using cuss words, being overly critical of other people, fill in the blank with whatever else you want to use, and you're not feeling convicted, you're not saved, and you don't belong to Jesus. Just being that honest and lovingly enough to tell you that, you don't. Because you can't do those things which Scripture teaches us are wrong. And you say, well, Jeremiah, my Bible doesn't say you're not supposed to cuss. In the book of Philippians, it says remove all filthy communication out of your mouth. All filthy communication. In no way, shape, form, or fashion are cuss words approved of as normal language. I can't walk into church on Sunday morning and just start dropping F-bombs and everybody be okay with it. Children at school can't just start dropping F-bombs every time that they, they raise their hand and the teacher calls on them. There's consequences. Why? Because those words are not considered appropriate. Those words are not considered clean language. So if the Bible says remove all filthy communication out of your mouth, unclean things, then they fall in line with that. And yes, the Bible says you are not supposed to cuss. You're not supposed to use bad language. But yet, most of the time, we don't see a problem with it. I know pastors that have no problem with it. I have, I have pastors that have no problem with using cuss words because they say it's normal. It's just what everybody does. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not normal. But we make it that way. So when we look at this passage here, James is saying... If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless. Now, I know you'll say, well, Jeremiah, you, you so often say that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. It is. I want you to know what the word religion means here, though. The word religion here, as James used it, means outward practice or service of a God. So what he's saying is anyone, whether you are a Christ follower, whether you follow 50 gods, Whatever it may be, if anyone believes that they are a religious person and they believe that they can just use their tongue to do whatever they want to do, they are deceiving themselves. So now we're going to narrow it in just on being a Christ follower because I don't follow any other gods. I follow Jesus. That's it. And so you all know I've used this verse before, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and those who love it will eat its fruit. So we understand that the way that I use my tongue, the way that I use my language, the way that I use my actions as a Christ follower are going to be very vitally important to A, let people know that I am a Christ follower. B, allow me the opportunity to share the good news and point people to Jesus and also be able to say, hey, I do this too. I'm a Christ follower and here's what I do. And C, show the world that yes, I'm separate. I'm different. I don't act like the world. I don't talk like the world. And I do that because that's what Jesus commands us to do. We are to be a separate people. We are to be different. We are to stand out. There should be something different about us. It shouldn't be one of those things, oh, you're a Christian? Well, that's great, you know, but I don't see anything different in you than I do anybody else. Someone, if, if, if someone spends time with me and I'm truly a Christ follower, they should notice, you know what? That guy's different. There's joy in his life. I don't hear him cussing. I don't hear him talking negative about other people. I don't see him being overly critical of other people. I don't see him being a gossiper. I don't see him telling lies. I don't see him being dishonest. I don't see any of that stuff from him. He stands out as someone different. So here's what we find from this passage. I'm going to give you four things, and I've already been mentioning them, but I'm going to talk about them a little bit more deeply. An uncontrolled tongue reveals that this religion they claim to have is merely simply a sham. So here's the four examples that I'm just going to use of kind of what James is talking about here. And here's the first one. When he's talking about an uncontrolled tongue and he's talking about someone who claims to be religious, someone who claims to be a Christ follower, but yet their religion or their relationship with Christ is a sham, here's one of the reasons. Cutting and critical criticism of others. Cutting and critical criticism of others. Now, listen. I do believe we live in a generation that has no idea how to take criticism. The problem is I also believe we live in a generation that doesn't know how to give criticism. See, there, there's it, it's both and, not either or. I think one of the things that we do is we don't know how to teach people anymore. I'm going to give you an example. This past week, and, I, and I'm just, again, I, I use life examples that happen. We had to have our garage door worked on this past week. So the people come to work on the garage door. There was two people here, one that was older and one that was younger. I'm guessing one is, you know, he's been with the company for a while. The younger guy, I'm guessing he's probably a newbie. He's, he's a new guy, um, probably doesn't know a whole lot about garage doors, uh, doesn't know a whole lot about what's going on, but he's here, he's learning. And while I'm sitting here, and I'm kind of doing some sermon prep here at the house while they're working on the garage doors. I'm listening to the, this conversation that's going on. And all I'm hearing is the older guy yelling at the younger guy because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. But I also never heard him instruct him and say, all right, and I'm just going to use, y'all know I use the name Bob all the time. So, hey, Bob, here's what I want you to do. I need you to hold this piece like this so that I can do this. And what I'm going to do is, I'm, you know, I didn't hear any teaching going on. What I heard was, I can't believe that you don't ever listen. 
And then I heard some expletives, some curse words. And then it's like, you know, I, I swear, you don't listen for nothing. And you could hear the young boy saying, I don't know what to do. I'm doing what you, you, know, you told me to do. No, you're not. You don't listen. And, and so I'm bringing that up to say, we don't know how to give criticism to people because we don't know how to teach people anymore. We think teaching people is yelling them and telling them how stupid they are, that they don't know what they're doing. And you know what? What we find is the reason why people can't accept criticism is because people don't know how to give it. And so if all you're doing is telling me that I'm stupid, I'm an idiot, I can't hear, or this or that, and you've never taught me what to do, yeah, I'm going to look at you, and I'm not going to look at you nicely. I'm not going to think about you as nicely. And I'm definitely not going to want to work with you or for you. If all you do is put me down and you are overly critical of me. See, what happens is we're overly critical of people that we've never taught. And that's easy to do. If you don't take the time to disciple or teach someone, we can be very overly critical of them. I'll give you an example. One of the things that we hear so often is the statistics about kids who leave the church, go away to college, and you know, 50% of kids who leave the church and go away to college denounce their faith, and you know, all these statistics. And I heard a statement the other day that said this. How about we look at it from this perspective? Maybe it's not that 50% of the kids who left church denounced their faith. Maybe they never knew their faith to begin with because we never really taught them. And I was like screaming amen to the top of my lungs. Because see, one of the things that we're finding within the church right now, if there is one problem that we have within the church, it's this. We think discipleship is some kind of class that you're supposed to take. No, discipleship is the life and the heartbeat of the church. Because everything we do is discipleship. Remember Jesus in the Great Commission said, go and make disciples of all nations. Everything we do is discipleship. It's not evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is part of discipleship. Serving is part of discipleship. Preaching is part of discipleship. Teaching, singing, praying, all of these things are part of discipleship. Why is that? Because what we are to do is we are to teach what it means to follow Christ. And that is discipleship. But what we've done is we've turned discipleship into a six-week class that we teach rather than the lifestyle in which we live. And what we're doing is we're looking at our younger people and we just think because they go to church that they're saved, but we've never taken the time to actually sit down, teach, minister to, and anything of that nature. We're not teaching our younger people how to read their Bible. We're not teaching younger people how to pray. We're not teaching younger people how to serve the way that we should within the context of the local church. We're just not. There's so many people that will look at it and say, oh, you know, kids just don't want to, you know, take the time to do this. Listen, I asked our students, what is one thing, because right now I'm kind of acting as the youth pastor as well as senior pastor. And I asked some of our students, I said, what is one thing that you could, if you could have one thing that you think would be great and beneficial to your spiritual walk that we could do here, what would it be? And they said, we would love to have an intensive Bible study that just focuses on us, middle schoolers and high schoolers. I said, we can make that happen. So I said, we're going to start doing that twice a month on Sundays at four o'clock before we have our student ministry time. We're going to have a time to where we do that. And you know what? We had 17 kids show up and you say, well, that's not really a big deal. Well, when you sit down and think about how many kids we normally have come to our Sunday night student ministry and children's ministry and things of that nature, it really is a big deal. 
it was a huge deal. And guess what? Every one of them brought their Bible and every one of them brought a notepad too. They were hungry. They were ready. They want someone to teach them. See, the problem we have within the context of the local church is we spend more time being critical of people than we do teaching people. And if we were doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is discipleship, and we were teaching people how to pray, teaching them how to study their Bible, all of these things, I promise you, we ain't got time to be critical of other people. I've started a class here at the church that I pastor, and it's called Equip, and it's about studying your Bible. When we first showed up, we had about 25 people there, and this is the question that I asked when we began it. And we had four of our deacons in that class who are older people. We had a significant amount of people that were 50 or older that came to that class, and here's the question I asked. I said, how many of you have ever had anyone sit you down and teach you how to study your Bible and not one of them raised their hand? And I said, are you kidding me? You're telling me that as many of you all in this room are 50 and older, you're telling me that no one has ever set you down and taught you how to study your Bible. So I said, here's my question. How many of you actually do study your Bible? And the, it was just silence. Because here's the thing. If you don't know how to study it, you can't. If no one's taught you how to do it. And that's where I hate to say this, but the generation before me has failed miserably and dropped the ball in what it means to disciple. And so what we're doing is we love to walk around and say, oh, kids these days, all they do is video games and they don't do that. You know what? What are we doing about it? Are we teaching them? Are we saying, hey, you know what? Come over to my house and let me do a Bible study with you all. No, we don't have our older people doing that. We don't have our older men that are willing to step up and say, hey, I need to, to use my time and my talent and my treasure to be able to minister to other people. You don't have that. You don't have women that are willing to step up and talk about the fact that, hey, you know what? We need to teach young ladies what it means to be a young lady and respect their body and not dress in inappropriate ways and be able to put their body out there and think that that's all they have to offer uh, young boys is their body, but there's so much more to them. No, we don't have those things anymore. Instead, we just want to be critical of everybody. We want to point out the fact that they have, you know, fill in the blank. That's one of the problems that we have within the church is nobody wants to go to it because everybody's sick and tired of being criticized all the time. Why are pastors dropping like flies right now not wanting to be in the ministry? Because everybody in the congregation wants to point out all the flaws that the pastor has. Well, he preached too long today. He's too loud. I don't like the way he dressed. I've even had people tell me before that pastors shouldn't have facial hair and it offended them that I had facial hair. I'm telling you, you can't make some of this stuff up. And what we've got is we've got so many people that believe that it's their job and their responsibility to be critical of everybody. And I'm telling you, when you live in a state of being criticized all the time, especially when it's not even justified, that does not show Christ-likeness. It doesn't. You don't see Jesus walking around constantly criticizing every everybody. Here's the second one. Not only does an uncontrolled tongue lead to cutting critical criticism, but unclean language. See, here's one of the things that I found. Most of the time, unclean language comes from people who either A, just don't see it as something that's bad and sinful, and they're just going to do it. B, are just angry people. 
And that's some of the first words out of their mouth because they're angry all the time. Or C, love to use that word for either shock value or to hurt somebody. That's really what unclean language's purpose is. Nothing about it is productive. I know my wife made the comment. She said, you know, she teaches third grade and she said it's amazing how some of these kids will learn certain words and they'll come in and they'll say them to see what my shock value will be. And she said it's sad that, you know, kids will do stuff like that. But hey, we as adults do the same exact thing. And what you find with the idea of unclean language is what benefit does it, what, what benefit does it do? If unclean language was so important to use, I would find Jesus using it. I would find Jesus walking around telling everybody, you know, using that kind of language. What purpose does it serve to sit down and use that kind of language other than the fact that you may, you seem to either fit in better. As a young person, you think it makes you more cool and it makes you more tough. No, it shows that you're an idiot. It shows you're ignorant. It shows that you could, you, you, there's so many other words you could use and your vocabulary is so simple that that's all you can come up with. That's what it shows. You say, well, Jeremiah, that's being critical of me. No, that's stating fact. There are so many other words to be able to articulate to show that I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm upset or I'm hurt rather than using cuss words. Cuss words shows an ignorant vocabulary. That's all that it shows. You don't need to use any cuss words for any reason whatsoever. They're not productive in any way. So here you've got an uncontrolled tongue shows cutting critical criticism. It shows unclean language. And then number three, it shows dishonesty. It shows dishonesty. Does it bother you if you know that you've been dishonest about something? Does it bother you to know that you can be dishonest about somebody in order to step up the ladder at your job? Does it bother you to know that you can... You can be dishonest about stuff and be able to cause other people hurt and harm. See, I don't know that a lot of times we even realize how dishonest we are about stuff because we've even come to the point now to where, well, if I don't tell all the truth, but just some of the truth, it's not really a lie. I just didn't share everything. We have so rationalized and justified dishonesty into truth that it's it's appalling in our society today. We look at things within our society and we don't have very much of an issue about being dishonest anymore. We have no problem lying about people. We have no problem um, spreading lies about people, slander. The amount of things that I've had said to me said about me as a pastor, And that people have no issue spreading those lies. I find just mind-blowing. I mean, some of them you almost have to sit down and say, man, how, how, however you come up with that, that lie is just, it's almost comical. Because anybody who knows me knows that that is not at all accurate about me. 
And usually what we find is the people that spread lies and are dishonest about people have no idea who they really are. They're taking a small snippet of that person. And what we, what we normally do is when we think about dishonesty and lies, what we're doing is we're using that in order to take care and benefit ourselves because we know that the truth won't. That's really what lies and dishonesty are. I'm going to lie about so-and-so over here because I know that if I do, it's going to help me get my job because on my own merits, I can't get this job. But if I lie about that person and I put them down and I make them beneath me, then I'll be able to get this job promotion or whatever it may be. See, what we don't realize is that lies and dishonesty have to be show unkindness towards someone in order to lift me up and validate me. It's self-centeredness is really what it is. And see, one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And dishonesty and lies is being unkind. So you're not showing a fruit of the Spirit when you lie about someone, when you're dishonest about someone. But here's the thing. We live in a day and time to where nobody wants to hear the truth about someone. The only thing we want to hear is is the bad stuff. I, I gave this example at church one Sunday morning. And I said, you can be overly spiritual if you want to, but I said, let's just be really raw for just a minute. I said, if we were to have five people get saved this morning, or you found out that the pastor morally failed, which one would spread the fastest by the time that we walked out of the church doors? I said 90% of the people who were sitting in here right now would not even share on social media that we had five people saved this morning. It would take forever for that news to spread within the community that there were five people who come forward this morning and surrendered their life to Jesus. But 99% of the people who are sitting in here right now if you were to find out that I morally failed, y'all'd be on social media probably before you even got out the doors and the whole entire county would know what had happened. Why? Because we love to see other people fail. And even if we didn't know it was true, even if we didn't know all the details, even if we had just heard that it was a rumor, we're going to spread it because it sounds good. It's juicy. It's got meat to it. And the problem is we don't even check to find out if it's truthful. How many times has someone come up to you and told you, oh, I'm going to tell you, Bob down the road, did you hear what he did? No, I didn't tell me. And then all of a sudden, you heard what Bob did, but did Bob really do that? Did anybody go to Bob and say, hey, you know what? I heard that this is what you've done. And Bob said, absolutely not. That's not at all what I've done. And I got someone to validate that. But now Bob's got everybody in the community thinking that he's done filling the blank because nobody had the courage to go to Bob and say, hey, Bob, I heard this about you and it broke my heart and it didn't seem like that would be you, so I wanted to come and validate and verify. Is that it? We don't do that anymore. We just believe the dishonesty. We believe the lies because that's the best thing to do, which leads us to number four. An uncontrolled tongue not only has cutting critical criticism of others, not only has unclean language, not only does deals with dishonesty and lies, but also gossip. 
there are more people in the church that's going to have to answer for what they think is getting prayer requests when really all it is is nothing but gossip on the phone. We love to mask gossip as, you know, I, I want you to pray for Susie down the road. And, and well, why is that? What's going on? Oh, I'm glad you asked. But now listen, don't tell anybody. This is what I heard. You know, Susie's marriage is falling apart. Do you know that for sure? Because I'm going to tell you, that's some big claims to be making if you don't know that that's truthful or not. And you know what you just done? I had a, a teacher whenever I was in school I loved, Coach Strauss. He always made this statement. He said, once the toothpaste is out the tube, you can't put it back in. What you just done is you just unleashed the fact that Susie and her marriage is falling apart, and that might not even be the case whatsoever. You know what might be? It might be that Susie just found out that she's been diagnosed with cancer. And her and her husband are having a difficult time trying to figure out how to deal with it. But because you see them not acting right, you think their marriage is falling apart. You have no idea what the details are, but isn't it amazing how we love to get on the phone and we love to mask these things in prayer requests because we like to over-spiritualize sin. And think about the damage that you just had done. It's amazing. It's amazing what can happen whenever we just open our mouths and we don't know what the truth is and we just love to be able to talk about other people. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you were the topic of gossip? See, I think that's the thing that most people don't realize is they sit down and they look at it and they have no problem gossiping about somebody else, but how would you feel if you're the one who's everybody's running around telling lies and falsities about? You're the one who people are gossiping about. See, that's the, that's the difficult thing when it comes to using our tongue is we, we don't have a problem talking about people or spreading lies or dishonesty or things of that nature, but we sure don't like it when people do it about us. Such a double standard. And guess who that... Re oh, that's right. That's the Pharisees. That's right. That's exactly who Jesus is talking about. And he called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. In essence, this is what he told him. He said, y'all aren't saved. See, you can't fall into the four categories here that I just talked about and be living this way and claim that you know Jesus because it's not possible. Jesus said, you can't, be, you can't claim to be a good tree and produce bad fruit. See, we got too many people that don't want to say this. Some of these old ladies that have been gossips in the church for so long, they, they may not be saved. Just because they're good, sweet old ladies when they show up on Sunday morning, they're openly living in sin throughout the week, gossiping about people, and they have no problems with it, and they're not repentant of it. See, one of the things we need to get back to is this. Jesus was very clear. He said, narrow is the road. That leads to salvation, but wide is the road that leads to destruction. Listen, it's a one-lane road that leads to heaven, and it's narrow, and there's not going to be many found on it. That was Jesus' words. And a lot of the people that we think are saved and born-again people that have went to our church for years, 
Listen, they're, they're not saved and they're not going to heaven because there's not fruit in their lives. Jesus said in Matthew 12, we just talked about it, you will be known by your fruit. People who live with an uncontrolled tongue, who consistently criticize other people, have unclean language, are dishonest, and they lie, and they're full of gossip. Listen, there is nothing in them that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is not living within a person who does this as a lifestyle. But we don't have anybody that wants to say that because, oh, now, Jeremiah, you're not supposed to tell, you can't say that. Only God knows their heart. No, Jesus told me I can look at your fruit and determine whether you're saved or not. Let's quit this nonsense of, you know, nobody knows the heart other than Jesus. Guess what Jesus just said? Go back to this verse. Whatever comes out of your mouth is the overflow of your heart. I can know your heart by what comes out of your mouth. Think about that. I can know your heart by what comes out of your mouth. So all of these people saying, oh, you don't know nobody's heart, only Jesus does. No, I can know your heart because Jesus said I can. Because what's coming out of your mouth is going to tell me if Jesus is in your heart. Jesus can't be in your heart if your tongue is uncontrolled and, and you live a life that does these things that we talked about on a regular basis. You can't. So am I saying if somebody slips up and cusses one time that, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a lifestyle. If you know somebody that is consistently overly critical and you know them, they just popped into your head as I said that statement. You know the person that is so overly critical. They claim to love Jesus, but I'm telling you, you don't want to have a conversation with them because they are so overly critical that it just annoys you to be around them. That person's probably not saved. You know that person who claims to, to, to know Jesus as their Savior and they claim to go to fill in the blank, you know, church. But man, they cuss every other breath. They have no problem using foul language. They talk dirty. They talk dirty about their spouse, their wife. Guys, gals, that, that person probably doesn't have Jesus living in their heart. Somebody who you know is not honest at all. You wouldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. They tell lies all the time. It just seems like that's all they know how to do. Listen, these people are popping in your head as I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. They're probably not saved. The person who you couldn't trust to tell them anything because no sooner than it's out of your mouth, they've already got it on social media. They're telling everybody and their brother and Bob at the grocery store because they're the biggest gossips in the world. Listen, they're probably not saved. And I'm not judging them. I'm taking the word of God, what Jesus said. And he said, whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. I'll take it a step further. How many of these same people that you know that will sit down and God bless you on Sunday morning fit into one of these categories as soon as church is over with Monday through Saturday? James is going to tell us a little bit later on, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You either got to love one and despise the other. You can't sit down and claim to be a Christ follower and live like the world. It's not possible. You don't belong to Jesus. That's what James is telling us here. James is telling us very simply, you can't say that you belong to Jesus and your tongue is constantly cutting other people up. It's just not right. 
I'm not being harsh. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you what God's word says. We just don't like that because we've got family members that fall into this category. We've got family members that if we're really honest with ourselves, they claim to know Jesus, but their life, they're just not showing any fruit. And you know what? That bothers us because now we have to come to terms with the fact that my loved one, my family member, may not go to heaven and I'm not doing anything about it. Because you know what? We don't want to be that guy or that woman who's going to go up to somebody and say, listen, according to what God's word says, you might not be saved because you don't have any fruit in your life. You're not showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You're, you're not showing any of that. Because see, that's really the last one. If you have the fruit of the Spirit and you're showing self-control, you're not going to be critical of other people. You're going to encourage them. You're not going to use unclean language, but you're going to try to make sure that your language is edifying. You're going to make sure that your language is honoring to God. You're not going to have dishonesty. So I pray that this has been a challenge to you. I pray that it finds a blessing, and I pray that if it does, that you share it with somebody. We look forward to getting into our time again next time, but most of all, I pray if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I pray you understand He loves you enough and He wants to change you and not have you like the world. So I encourage you to find someone who's a Bible-believing Christian and allow them to be able to share the gospel with you and repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So next week, we're going to start doing this twice a week, and we're going to be doing it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So check it out next week. that You'll have two episodes if you're following. Pray you have a blessed day. And I pray that God challenges you with this.